We're studying Pittsburgh next week. (laughs) And we do have five of our Hispanic family that's getting baptized after this service. We're very, very grateful. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Your word is true. Your word is life-changing. And your word prepares us for what's coming. So Holy Spirit, teach your people today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Hold your Bibles up. Let me see them. Did you bring your Bible? Good, 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 good. We welcome you guys watching online. Hope this is profitable for you. Now, as we go through this, we're going to study the church at Philadelphia. Uh, We've talked, this will be the six of seven churches. And I want to say, I want to stay as close as I can to what the text says. What Jesus says is very important. What I think is not so important. Don't say amen. Oh, you can. Okay. Amen. I agree. Amen. So let's read at starting at verse 7. We'll read verse 7 first. To the angel of the church, the pastor of the church, the leader of the church in Philadelphia, write this. Jesus is going to say three things about himself in this verse. He who is holy, who is true. He who has the key of David, who opens and no one can shut. And who shuts, no one can open. Say this. Now, as we go through this, we've gone through, this is the sixth church. And Philadelphia is the faithful church. Everyone say faithful, please. They're the faithful church. Now, the three things Jesus said about himself in this one verse, he gave two of his names, two descriptions. He said, I am the one who is holy. Everyone say holy. What does holy mean? Well, it's not easy to kind of wrap our our minds around it, but I want to try to help us understand. Holy means morally perfect. There's no flaws. There's no blemishes. There's no mistakes. Holy means to be set apart. Holy means different. Our marriages should be different from other people's marriages. The way we conduct ourselves at work should be different than the way other people conduct themselves at work. Holy means sacred. The difference between what is sacred and what is common. That's the word holy. And then the second word Jesus says, he says, I am true. True means real. If you're building a house, you build a foundation, and you want your foundation to be dependable. It doesn't move. You can count on it. There's no capacity for untruth. And then, just like a rifle scope, if it is zeroed in and it is accurate, the aim is called true. It's right on. It is effective. The second description Jesus says about himself, I'm the one that has a key, and it is a particular key. It is the key of David. David was the first king of the Messianic line, and David had an encounter with the Lord where a prophet came to him And if you read chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, it is a beautiful chapter. And after the prophet told him all the things that were on the Lord's heart, all David could do was to go to the tabernacle and sit in God's presence, saying, I'm not worthy. Why would you pick me? Why would you pick my family? Why would you say there would always be a king on the throne Forever that would come out of my family line. 
Well, what family line did he come out of? Out of the 12 clans, the 12 tribes, David came out of the tribe of what? Tribe of Judah. And that's one of the names in Scripture of the Lord Jesus. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, why is, it, why is this important? Do I have any Gentiles in the room? If you're a Gentile, can you hold your little Gentile hands up? Okay. Do I have any people with Jewish blood in the room? Hold your hand up a few. Okay. Well, the wonderful thing is us Gentiles were included in God's family because of the Jews. The Lord came to a man, the first Jew, Abraham, and said, I'm going to give you a big family when you don't have a family. And in your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And I'm going to establish a kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever. And that way, us Gentiles were included. We should always love and appreciate the Jews. They gave us the church. They gave us the scriptures. They gave us the Messiah. They opened heaven for us Gentiles to come into the kingdom of God. And the Lord still has a huge plan for the nation of Israel. And we want to help them. We want to bless them. And if you've ever uh, worked at a factory or a company where you were given certain keys, the people with the keys are the people that have the authority. And Jesus said, the whole plan of salvation started with me and the whole plan of salvation ends with me. I have the key of David. Now, this is Bible trivia, theology 101. Anybody gets this right? Brian and Kim Nelson right here on the second row You can have three free nights at their house. (laughs) Did I ask that ahead of time? I don't remember. You don't remember me asking. Okay, wow. What is this called? Does anybody know? This is called the Davidic Covenant. It's very big, very important. It's why you get to go to heaven because God made contracts or covenants with people like Abraham and Moses and David. And we're part of the new covenant through the Lord Jesus Christ. Kim, how many people can sleep at your house? I don't think anybody got it right, so you're probably good. Now, here's the third thing Jesus said about himself. I'm the one that opens doors. And if a door opened for you 25 years ago that was good, Jesus opened that door for you. Jesus has probably closed some doors that you did not need to go through. Now here's another question for you. Has he placed before you an open door? Are you sensing it? I have so much excitement And anticipation like never before, because I believe Jesus is opening doors in our city like never before. And it's wonderful to see. It's a little scary to think about. But a door is an opportunity. And the door might get disguised as something dawning, something heavy, something beyond yourself. It's going to take courage to go through a door that Jesus opens for you. It may cause you a bunch of stress and pressure. Go through it anyway. There's people on the other side that need you. It may be in your neighborhood. It may be at your school. There may be a job opportunity coming your way. It may be working with children. It may be launching into a prayer ministry. It may be doing something with missions. It may be one family down the street from where you live. 
But Jesus wants to open doors. We have to first see it. So you ought to pray that you would recognize the door. Then it's going to take courage to walk through it. Now here's a little pastoral coaching, if, if I may so share, because I've done this wrong so many times. If Jesus closes a door, if he closes a door, one more time, if he closes a door, should we insist on going through the door anyway? Because there's something we like and we think we're smarter than Jesus and we can't do without it and it's just got to happen. So we go get a crowbar or we get steel-toed boots and we start kicking or we take a screwdriver and a drill and we start taking the hinges off so we know that's what Jesus wants when Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. If Jesus is telling you, young ladies, not to date that gentleman, don't go through that door. If you have a job opportunity, but you feel there's something inside you that just doesn't feel right, don't go through that door. He has something better for you. Just be honest, I've done it. How many of you have pushed through doors Jesus did not want you to go through? Hold your little bloodied hands and bloody noses up. It may be the wrong time. It could be the right door, but it's the wrong time. It may actually be the wrong door. The door he wants you to go through is third to the left. Or it may be the wrong way. Your heart is not right. You're full of pride or full of selfishness. And your motives are wrong. And Jesus is saying, no, we, you and I need to talk. It's about heart. A little more coaching. If Jesus opens a door, say it with me, please. If Jesus opens a door, what should you do? What should you do if Jesus opens a door? What should you do? You should move. You should act. You're getting a green light. You feel like if you don't, you'll be disobedient. By the way, doors can close because you don't act. There's a timing with doors, too. Uh, let's approach it from another direction. If Jesus closes a door... Turn to your neighbor and say, if Jesus closes the door, what should you do? If Jesus closes the door, what should you do? What should you do? What should you do? You should what? Remember, the answer is always on the screen. You, sh <laughs> you should what? Wait. Wait for the right door. Wait for the right door. Wait for the right door. Now let's go to, so three things Jesus said about himself. Now, there's five things Jesus said about the Philadelphia church, verse 8. Let's go back to the text. Verse 8, I know your deeds. Behold, I put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have little power, little strength, but you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Now, these are all pictures from the ruins of Philadelphia and Turkey. He starts off by saying, I know your deeds. Is that good or bad? Hello? Is it good or bad if he knows? Boy, there's... I think it's the people on this side primarily wrong. Would you think it's the folk on this side? Jesus is saying, I'm aware of everything. To me, it's very comforting that he knows my deeds. He knows where I am. He knows what I need. He knows what I struggle with. And so therefore, I don't have to hide anything. There's no reason to hide. There's no reason to pretend. I think pretending and hiding will wear you out. Someone say amen. It just will. You can be yourself. And be the best person Jesus wants you to be. But just stop hiding. You don't have to hide. He knows everything. And then next he says this, I put before you 
an open door, an important opportunity. I love this photo from the ruins of a gate in Philadelphia. Lord, show us the door right in front of us. Help us to see the door. Next, he said, understand, you have little strength. You have little power. Do you ever feel this way? You go up in the morning and go, three cups of coffee are not enough. The fact that you don't have what it takes, the fact that you have limited resources, that you feel inadequate and overmatched and you can't pull it off, is that good or bad? Which, what do you think? Is it good or bad? If you could do it, it probably wouldn't be the right door. Jesus wants you to understand you cannot pull it off. Anytime you see me at the altar praying, I intercede for you guys a little bit. But most of the time I'm going, oh God, oh God, oh Lord help me because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do it. Can't fix it. I need your help. And the apostle Paul said he got to the place and he said, I've learned the secret. That when I can't do it, Jesus is actually saying, I've been waiting for you to figure that out, Paul. Just Would you kind of just move over and let me do it? Because when I'm weak, that's actually when I'm the strongest because Jesus says, okay, Steve, let me do it. I can, I can make this thing work. The next thing Jesus said, he commended them for keeping his word. Very very important. The scripture the people in Philadelphia had was written on vellum, pieces of leather or pieces of very brittle paper. It was hard to get. And so often these Letters would be read to a room full of people and people would try to remember or write down in their own words what they had just heard. The word of God was very, very precious. Do you keep the word like the Philadelphians did? Years ago when I was in China and we were working with the underground church, the lady we were helping was a little Chinese lady. She was about a third my size, had never married. She owned a restaurant and a daycare as a front. She had 60 churches, 60 churches. And some of them were bigger than Church of the Savior at the time. They were house churches. And she knew what it was to be faithful she smuggled Bibles into China and risked her life. She went to prison three times for being a minister of the gospel. One night, I'm teaching at a restaurant with her, and I had a Californian fella who had dual citizenship with China. He was my interpreter. And he turned to me and said, we got to stop. I said, well, I'm halfway done. Why do we, why we got to stop? I had 60 of her pastors and some of them have been on buses for, and trains for 10 hours to get there. They were up by North Vietnam, uh, North Korea. I said, why, why do we have to stop? Well, a nosy neighbor has called the police and they're here to arrest all of us. You never heard a white preacher say amen quicker. I said, amen. And everybody scattered, including me. She showed me her handwritten Bible. And so what her people would do, if they could get their hands on one Bible, 
They would take scissors and cut it up into 66 portions. And somebody would take Proverbs and stay up all night and copy it. And she had her Bible was complete in six spiral ring notebooks, handwritten. So they'd stay up all night copying Proverbs, get up and go to work all day. The next night they might get uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and they'd copy that all night as clearly as they could write it so it could be passed on. The Chinese church kept the word of God. We have Bibles everywhere and people don't read them. People never learned the spiritual discipline of reading the scriptures. I suggest if you're a follower of Christ that you read through the Bible every single year. Keep the word of God. Study the word of God. If you want to grow, teach the word of God to somebody else. I've done that for 49 years. An average of four times, five times a week for 49 years. That's a way to learn it. Memorize it. Write passages that will save your soul on a card and keep it with you. Memorize them word perfect. Trust the Bible. You cannot trust what's going on in our culture, but you can trust the scriptures. You can rely on the scriptures. The scriptures will keep you. The scriptures will lift you if you keep it. And then you got to live it. It's got to transform you. Whenever you read the scripture, whenever you hear a message, you should walk away from reading your Bible going, I'm going to do this today. This is what I'm going to remember today. I'm going to live this today. And actually, because when you read the scriptures, it builds upon each line. So what happened in front and what happens afterwards, it's all connected. So the secret of Jesus' very next commendation is what we just read. They kept the scriptures. Well, what, what's, what's, what's the deal? Here's Jesus' next commendation. The church in Philadelphia didn't, did not, did never deny his name. It's right here in the text. Why is this important? They were under extreme pressure. And there's many places around the world Christians are under extreme pressure. I don't think I'm wrong. It may be two years, five years, ten years, maybe 20 years if Jesus should tarry, but Christians in this country one day will face extreme pressure. It'll happen. What's going to keep you? You kept the word. Now on the screen is a picture of 35 Christians rounded up, I think it's Algeria, and they're marched out to the coast, and ISIS puts them in orange jumpsuits, And they have them kneel with their hands behind their back. And each person is asked this question. Are you a Christian and will you renounce Jesus? If you renounce Jesus, you can live and you become a Muslim. 34 out of 35 said, I am a follower of Jesus. Go ahead and shoot me. Bam! One guy in the group, one guy, one guy in the group, they got to him. Are you a Christian? No, I'm not a Christian. You're not? Why are you wearing an orange jumpsuit? Because you kidnapped me, you knuckleheads. What are you? I'm a Muslim. Wonderful. Can we spare your life now? Can we untie you? He said, no, I've changed my mind. They went, you what? I changed my mind today on this beach. I want to follow Jesus. Jesus is my God. 
And these men who would not deny your name, I want to join them in heaven. Bam! And he did. You see, Jesus is faithful. The Father is faithful. And he expects you and me to be faithful to our vows. Faithful to prayer. Faithful to the scripture. Faithful to whatever church you're a part of. Faithful to share the gospel. Faithful to mission. Show integrity at work. He expects us to be faithful. Hebrews 3 verse 5 has this little wonderful statement about Moses, the man of God. Shows how heaven viewed him. Moses was faithful in all my house. So if the father is faithful, he wants his sons and daughters to be faithful. And faithfulness is only genuine when it's hard to be faithful. When you don't want to keep your marriage vows, that's when you become faithful because you choose to do it. When it's hard to love that husband because he's not loving, that's when faithfulness kicks in. When your wife can no longer love you back and you choose to love and care for her, that's when faithfulness kicks in. And write this down somewhere in the margin of your outline. Faithfulness is intentional. It's never accidental. You just don't happen to fall out of the bed and be faithful. It is a choice. And normally, are you ready? Normally, it's a hard choice. It's a hard choice. But you do it anyway. And yeah, we're sitting out here. We're trying to figure this all out. Me too. Jesus understands our insecurities. He understands, well, I don't want to be embarrassed by being a follower of Christ. Well, well, honey, you're going to be embarrassed if you don't follow Jesus one day. Well, I don't like being rejected. There's times I chickened out from sharing my faith with people because I my friends might reject me. It might change a relationship. And Jesus said this, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my heavenly father. Well, what if I'm seen as a fool? Uh, can I just explain something? We're all fools anyway for something. Just pick whose fool you want to be. Are you going to be a, f- a fool for Christ? Or a fool for the devil or a fool for the world? Which one? It's your choice. Well, I don't want to suffer. Nobody wants to suffer. I don't think I can pay the price of following Christ faithfully. If you don't, there'll be a bigger price to pay. And this last one. Uh, The Lord knows I want what I want. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Someone said the quality of a person's life is determined by the quality of no's, they say. If you say no to faithlessness, you'll be able to say yes to things that really, really, really matter. And Jesus searches for people he knows will be faithful. That's the kind of folk he wants to use. If you're faithful in little things, he knows you'll be faithful in big things. This is a verse you ought to star right in the margin. Paul writes this, out of all the yardsticks, all the measuring sticks, all the ways to determine a good life. It is required 
that a steward, somebody who doesn't own anything, but he's responsible for other people's property, is faithful. That's the one requirement. And see, eternal rewards are going to be based on primarily one thing, faithfulness. Did you do what I asked you to do? Did you see it through? Did you carry it out? Some of you are 10 talent people. Some of you are five talent people. Some of us are one talent people. What did you do with what Jesus gave you in the time you've had on this planet? Now let's look at the last section. Let's look at the three promises that Jesus makes in the text to the church in Philadelphia, verse 9. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you've kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Verse 11, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast. Everyone say hold fast. Hold fast to what you have so that no one takes away your crown. Verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore. And there's three wonderful, mysterious little things here in the last verse. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. So the three things Jesus says to the Philadelphia church. I'm going to deal with your enemies. Those in the synagogue of Satan. If any of you are going to plant a church and start a new church. uh, First church of the devil is not a good name. Don't pick that one. These apparently were Jews who said they were God's chosen people, but they were making life difficult for these new Christians. And Jesus said, I'm sorry, they lie. They are not my people. And those who attempt to destroy my people, those who follow me, This is a painting from hundreds of years ago when the Japanese warlords attempted to kill every Christian in Japan and they just about did it. Would one day be forced to bow before these faithful believers? That's what Jesus said. Your enemies are my enemies. I will vindicate you and I will demonstrate my love and commitment to you. You say, well, why doesn't Jesus just wipe out all evil men? Because he wants many of them to be saved. So he promises, I'm going to keep you. The word keeping, there's a lot of different kinds of keeping. I'm going to keep you every time. I'm going to keep you in everything. I'm going to keep you always. So don't be afraid. I got you. I'm going to keep you. Because this group of Christians had persevered, Jesus promised that he would keep them from the hour of testing. This word perseverance 
is very important. Why would Christians need the character quality of perseverance? Do you have a clue? Why would a Christian need to be tough? Why would a Christian need to be determined? Because there may be times that will be tough. Which will come upon the whole world to test those dwelling on the earth. It is a final time for people to vote. Will they follow Jesus or follow themselves and Satan? Several kinds of keeping their spiritual keeping, which means I'm going to keep the saints from stumbling into sin in the face of horrible persecution. Speaks of receiving grace, not to compromise in the face of spiritual warfare. Jesus said in the upper room the night before he was crucified, he said, Father, keep them from the evil one, but do not take them out of the world. Faithful believers will also be kept from God's judgment. Someone say, Amen. That's a good deal. Would you read the verse with me, please? God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath card is gone. Your sins are forgiven. There is a physical keeping too. Has he kept you physically from harm? Would that be yes or no? A couple of years ago, I was leaving my subdivision where Harrodsburg meets Brannon. And I was going to church. It was a busy day. I'm at the red light. My light turns green. I'm about to drive into the intersection. And somebody texts me. And I did a most unusual thing. I stopped and looked at my phone. Then I realized an 18-wheeler came running through the red light at 60 miles an hour that would have hit me square in my door and killed me for sure. And I said, thank you, Lord. I had to go outside, get my heart out of the grass, and put it back in my chest. Thank you for keeping us, Lord. I know you pray that for your children and grandchildren, but I want to make sure we're clear. The Lord's keeping does not exempt you from danger, harm, suffering, and difficulty. Why? Because Christians are suffering all over the world. And Jesus loves them just as much. Multitudes during the time of the seven churches were martyred for their faith. In the coming years, we do not know when, but more people will be martyred, Christians will be martyred than at any other time. There are two main interpretations of this verse. Jesus said, that I will keep you from the hour of trial. Let me share them with you. The first one is what is called a pre-tribulation view. And that is that Jesus will appear at the beginning of the hardest time, these seven years, and pull out, take away Christians right before the hardest stuff breaks out. That's one view. The other view is what is called a post-tribulation view that the saints will be kept in the midst of the trial. Kept from stumbling and used for his glory. Uh, Let me state my position. 
I can actually defend both positions. Both positions. Here's what I do know. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. He's not told me. I just know he is coming back. My personal job is to be really, really busy doing all I can of what he's told me to do until he comes. I'll let him work out when he comes because he's not going to listen to me anyway. He's going to do what he wants to do. Point number 11. Jesus promised to honor the Christians in the Philadelphian church. Now, last week we had the big Super Bowl deal. My wife watches all these things, wears her jerseys and embarrasses me how much she, I shouldn't say that. I will be in the tribulation. But I want to point out, how long does it take the people to forget about the Super Bowl? 24 hours. It does not compare. Any honor on this planet does not compare to the honor of the next world. Why cheat yourself in the next world? Jesus said, if you're faithful with 10 things, I'll put you over 10 cities or 10 regions in the next world. It's very, very important. We should want to be like the Philadelphia Christians, and he urged them, hold fast. Everyone say, hold fast. Hold on. Why hold fast? Because it's going to be difficult to hold on. Hold on to what he's called you to do. Hold on to the truth of scriptures. Worship team, would you guys come on out? I don't know about you. I want to fight a good fight. I don't want to quit the fight. I want to finish my race. I don't want to get disqualified. I don't want to come up lame. I don't want to quit because I'm tired and weary. I don't want to run off into somebody else's lane. I want to run my race. I want to keep the faith. A lot of people have lost the faith the last couple of years. We got to hold on to the faith. Say this passage with me that Paul wrote. Say it. In the future there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who've loved his appearing. Not been ashamed at his appearing, but We're excited about his return. And here's a stern warning. Are you ready? If Christians did not stay faithful in doing what he asked them to do, we could experience a real loss of eternal rewards that have been acquired or accumulated. That's what this passage, 1 Corinthians 3, is about. That everybody's work will be evaluated by fire. And what was worthless will be burned up. They'll still be saved, but there'll be very little reward. And this passage, Jesus said, don't let anyone take your crown Don't let them take your reward. Don't let them take your faithfulness. Because the potential to lose eternal rewards are real. When a person dies, their life is going to be evaluated. I've led a lot of rough, wicked men to Christ in their last weeks or month of life. Men dying on their deathbed had no time for Jesus. I mean, wicked, gnarly, selfish, arrogant men. And I always enjoyed doing it. Man, I'll drive to share the gospel with a wicked man. To see them receive Christ, they always say, I'm so glad I did it. Why did I wait so long? 
But for an 85-year-old man to give his heart to Christ, it's really stupid. But you waited 65 years. You wasted 65 years of service, of rewards, of helping others, all because you thought life was about you. Two years ago, this man died, Ravi Zacharias. How many know Ravi Zacharias? He was a hero to me. A great defender of the faith, a great apologist, man from India that gave his heart to Christ, great Bible teacher, spoke on campuses everywhere. Millions of people looked up to him, and yet when he died, sadly, it came out that he was living a double life the last years of his life. It hurt his family. It hurt his team. Everybody that loves Jesus, it hurt all of us. If you serve Jesus well for 20 years, then you chase sin for the next 20 years, you're going to lose reward. Now, are you ready? Are you ready? I don't want you to throw stones at somebody else that's messed up. Someone's, let's say, I'm not throwing stones. Say it. I'm not going to throw stones. Why? Because his race has nothing to do with your race. You run your race. You run your race. You fight your fight. You hold on to the faith, even if he didn't. Because overcomers, this is what Jesus said, are going to be called pillars. When a Greek general won a great battle, often a pillar would be erected with his name on it. Think about the Washington Memorial. And it's a place of honor in the coming kingdom. This morning on my prayer job, I was praying, Lord, Give us men and women in Lexington who are intercessors, marketplace leaders, pastors who are stable, humble, dependable, valuable, and to realize the big picture. So you can build your church. And Jesus said, I'm going to write on the, these overcomers three things. The name of my heavenly father, who you belong to. I had a little grand girl come to church this morning, and I'm sure on her back they put a, a little tag that gave the name of her family. You're going to have the tag with the name of your daddy. And then also the name of the capital of heaven. The New Jerusalem. And you can read about it this afternoon in Revelation chapter 21. And that's where you belong. You don't belong on this earth for long. This is where you were made to be with your Father in heaven. And then the most mysterious of all, apparently our Savior has a brand new name that nobody on earth knows. And his name will be written on his sons and daughters, the name above all names. So we're going to open the altar now. Because I believe the Lord wants to infuse a heart of faithfulness like never before. Lord, make me faithful. Make me faithful to the end. Let me finish my race. So can you dim the lights a little bit for me? I just want to pray. And you may be scared today to ask the Lord to make you faithful. Maybe you failed in the past. Or maybe you're fearful that you could even be faithful for the rest of your life. Hey, I feel that too. Or maybe you're dealing with shame because you messed up in the past. I want to say, just tell him 
you want to be faithful. So I'm going to pray. The altar will be open. Let God's Spirit do a new work in you today. Jesus, thank you for your love for your people. Thank you for your commitment. And thank you that you know every person here and every person watching. Come and bring a heart of faithfulness to your people today. As we ask for it, grant it. Grant it today, Lord. Today, Lord. Do your work, your best work. In Jesus' name. The altar is open. Please come. Humble yourself before the Lord. You can stay in the seat too and let God's Spirit work. But tell Him yes. Tell Him yes. Ask Him to make you faithful to the very end. Ask Him to help you recognize the doors that are open right in front of you. Ask Him for courage to step through it. morning I break the power of shame I break demonic guilt in the name of Jesus I break the power of fear in Jesus name in this room and online we release a heart to obey God like never before release a spirit of faithfulness Lord Jesus Bring perseverance into our lives, Lord. It will be tough and strong and determined to obey you. Lord, raise up pillars in this city and in this room that will build your church, your house. Work, dear Lord. Work, dear Lord. is still open, but uh, feel free to stand as you are able as we sing these next two songs together.
everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring when you walk into the room. Every heart starts burning, and nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and worship you.
without you, Jesus, we love you. We can't get enough. All this is for you, Jesus. The service is over. If you want prayer for healing, come to either side. We'll be having a baptism in about 10 minutes right over here. But if you're watching online or in the room and you've not given your heart to Jesus, that's where it starts. So just pray with me right now. Surrender. Maybe you've been in church all your life, but you've never given your heart to Jesus. Say to him, Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life. Be Lord of my life. Cleanse me of all my sin and make me your child. I give you everything. Give me a home in heaven, and I'll serve you well. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Slip out quietly, pick up your children. There's people doing business with the Lord. Have a great day. Be faithful. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.